You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. We know what we have to do. We need claps. Let's clap it up for them one more time. Wow. I'm supposed to be up here to preach sermons and do these things, but there's so much we can learn from worship. There's so much that is informed, and I learn about God just from hearing them sing and the picture that they paint of God. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it, wherever you all are. But you all are everywhere. You're all throughout it, and we all worship. Anyways, my name is Spencer. I want to welcome you here today. If you're here for the first time, or you have the courage and humility and perseverance to come back another Sunday, it's very appreciated. We are continuing this series uh, called Dinners with Jesus that is based off of a book that I will pull up here called A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. Today, as you see with the title, we will be particularly focusing on a proper cleaning. And we are in the second to last week. So as we get started, actually what I'll do right now is I'll pray, and then I have some instructions for us. I need your help. God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for who you are. I pray that we can align ourselves with what you say cleaning is. Thank you so much. Uh, I pray that you can be more, that I can be less. In your name. Amen. So we are in the second to last week of Dinners with Jesus. As I'm looking at this series, I, I think it's easy to look every Sunday and say, hey, you know, we're doing another series, there's another sermon. But when we analyze and see what dinners are, they're meals. It's a type of meal. And meals are interactions with people. And so I realize. This series is so important because this series is an opportunity to inform you on how to interact. Because at a meal, there's a potential for you to use everything you've learned up to being a disciple, up to being a Christian, everything you've even learned coming to church. Up to that point, you can use it at the meal table. As we have already seen, Jesus has a lot of meals, and a lot of them are recorded in the Bible. And so this series is an opportunity for us to practice everything we've learned. And there's so much to learn from you all. And a meal is a classroom. It's a place to do it. As I said, I did have instructions, which we will get to right now. Let's see. Uh-oh, I'm going back. I need to go forward. <laughs> going back again and forward. So with that being said, I would like if we would take about two minutes to ask your neighbor, what is something that you have learned from this series so far in light of how important it is? We'll take two minutes and then we'll come right back. hear me clap once, if you hear me clap twice, three times. Wow, incredible listeners. I love the conversation. We are coming back. Two minutes has elapsed. It's time. We had two minutes. I was wondering if I could have two people to share something that their neighbor said about what they've been learning in this series. Any takers? 
hands raised. We'll go with you. Got it. So for those who are watching virtually, what was just discussed was how someone learned that at the dinner table, something that stuck out to them in a previous lesson was when Mary was washing Jesus' feet and how people looked down on her even though she was doing one of the most esteemable things ever, which was to serve God. And in the same way, we need to be careful with how we look at other people. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're up to. Beautiful share. Thank you so much. One more taker, if we have anyone. Ooh, you got it, Marie. Um, Norma was just sharing how um, she, they really haven't had that many people over for the business. So she made the starters, they Invitees. So it sounds like one takeaway for those who are watching was really just putting things into practice. And now someone had just shared about how they've been inviting more people since this series has started to have meals with them, to connect with them at the table. That being said, I really appreciate everyone sharing and everyone talking. It was great to hear the conversation. I didn't hear it all because I can't hear every single conversation. But we will be focusing on this idea of proper cleaning, specifically through the lens of Luke 11, 37 to 44, which I will start reading soon. It's very interesting because when we look at this particular passage, a lot of it and a lot of chapter 11 is very similar to the Beatitudes, which is Matthew 5 and 6, which was this moment where Jesus was having this sermon on a mountain and he's displaying and explaining different themes and ideas of what his kingdom looks like because Jesus is king. And so he's explaining to people what the kingdom would look like. What does it mean when he rules? In chapter 11, though, it's kind of strange, and it was actually a little puzzling for me to find the setting because we have elements of that, but then we also have Jesus killing someone who was demon-possessed, being at Mary and Martha's house, which is so interesting, you mentioned Mary, and then the Pharisees invite him over to have a meal. Despite this, I think that there is still some very interesting things that we can learn from this particular passage, which we will read right now. I, I'm a work in progress, so let's see. You know, I may just, that is very interesting. There it is. Great. Maybe I will. Luke eleven thirty-seven to 41. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. 
Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace, marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. So, as we see, Jesus is with the Pharisees. He's having a meal. It gets a little intense. He's with the Pharisees. I actually wanted to talk a bit about the Pharisees. Nowadays, when we look at the Pharisees, we often have it... um, accounts like this that inform our perspective of them. And in many ways, Pharisees can be a word that that does not have the best connotation. It does not have the best view, especially when we worship Jesus. And Jesus is saying this about this group of people. They don't necessarily have a good reputation. The reason I want to talk about them, though, is I think that in the first century, there may have been different ways that people would have looked at them, besides the way that we look at them now. So... Our point is cleaning perspectives, cleansing perspectives. And so I will talk about the Pharisees with these two quotes that are right back here. I am so sorry, but here we are. So the first we have is from Josephus, who you might have heard of. He was a Jewish historian who existed around the time of the siege of Jerusalem, which is basically when the Jews and the Israelites, they got into a, there was this tension with the Roman Empire that ultimately culminated in them being destroyed. Josephus was not destroyed. And he he found a little way to, to still stay around. And he writes about the Jews and he writes about the times up until the temple was destroyed. And this is what he mentions. And he's actually talking about the Pharisees in his book, Antiquities chapter 18, where it says, on account of which doctrines, the Pharisees, they're able to greatly persuade the body of people. And whatsoever they do about divine worship, prayers, and sacrifices, they perform them according to their direction, insomuch that the cities give great attestations to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in the actions of their lives and their discourses also. And now we have Acts 5.34, which is talking about Gamaliel, who, and I may be saying this wrong, but he was the teacher of Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. And look at what the New Testament says about Gamaliel. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, these being disciples at the time, apostles, be put outside for a while. As we're looking, what do we see? The cities give great attestations about them. One of their most reputable leaders, Gamaliel, is honored by all the people. And as I'm reading, as I'm personally learning about this, it seems that the Pharisees might have had something of a good reputation. Averages can conceal individuals, but this was a group with influence among the people. 
especially when you take in mind the other Jewish sects that were big at the day. You had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, but we're not talking about them. We're focused on the Pharisees. There's something else to note, and it's not here in the slides, but Josephus has more to say about the Pharisees, especially because he claims that he was a Pharisee. And he says here in his book, Jewish Wars, chapter, book two, chapter eight, the Pharisees are those who are esteemed most skillful in the exact explication of their laws and introduced the first set, the first of the two that he's talking about. Now, why do I mention that? Because it reminds me of what Jesus had to say. See, Josephus is writing later, but let's look at what Jesus says earlier. In Matthew 23, 24 to 26, which is Matthew's account of what we see in Luke 11, he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. If you listen back to the quote that I just said, that Josephus read, he said the Pharisees are skillful and they're esteemed at the most exact explication of their laws, understanding of it. And then look what Jesus says. He says, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Gnats are small. They're not large. The Pharisees, as we're seeing extra biblically and biblically, whatever they followed, they were very exact with following it. They were very good in practicing what they preached of what they did. If we look back in Luke eleven thirty-seven, which I will bring back right here, it says that, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs. Jesus is talking about how they followed scripture. When you go back into Torah, specifically in Deuteronomy 14.22, the Torah commands that all the children of God, the Israelites at the time, give a tenth. They were following scripture. They were, they were doing the Bible, but what was the issue here? It seemed like they had a great reputation. They were doing a lot of great things, but not everything was great. Especially as we look at Matthew 23, 24 to 26, which again is the, is the gospel account from Matthew. And I find that with these composite pictures, when we look at the different gospel accounts of the same event, it starts to make things a little whole. We start to understand a little bit better. They clean the inside of the cup and dish, but not necessarily the outside. And outwardly, their reputation was great, but their insides did not quite match the outside. In particular, when we look back, they neglected justice and the love of God. And often we can refer to Micah 6.8, where it references justice and love and mercy and walking humbly with their God, but this was something that they neglected. So whatever they did do, like Deuteronomy 14.22, they followed to the letter, but they didn't follow all the letters of the alphabet. There were some things that were left out, and a lot of it was left out was things that were internal, things that people may not be so apt to see. So as we look back, one way to kind of summarize what Jesus is talking about is you'll never be more in public than you are in private. When we look at what he says and what would make them clean, if I can bring it up, 37. 
He says, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also, but now for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean. So if they had only just focused on their insides, the outside would be clean. There would be a congruency. When, they, it, when you work on your private life, the public reflects that. So in summary, this is something that we see. Ultimately, as soon as Jesus finished speaking about a lot of principles of his kingdom, the Pharisees immediately confront him with their own idea of what cleaning is. So Jesus responds with what he thinks proper cleaning is, which is as it truly is. And this is what we see, congruency. Cleaning the inside, it results outwardly. So, as we move on, I have another question. I was wondering if we can take two minutes to discuss things that must be clean before people come over. And it could be coming over to the house. It could be coming over to the car. This is about dinners with Jesus. And so dinners are interactions. My question is, what are things that have to be gotten rid of and have to be clean before you interact with the guest or you host the guest in a home, car, apartment, anywhere? Let's take two minutes. We'll come back. All right, we're coming back. Thank you so much. If you hear me snap once, snap three times. Wow, I love it. Great. I have to say, I'm a tad bit nosy. I want to hear. I want some tea. What are some things that must be clean? Do we have anyone who can share, who can tell me? In the back. She's right. She's very, she's very right about that. She's very right. Okay, okay. You got it. Okay, kitchen, bathroom, kitchen, and all floors. Okay, we'll go with one last person. You know what? We'll do Norma and Clay. I'm loving this. Not expecting that. <laughs> not expecting that. <laughs> not expecting. It, I wasn't ready for that. Clay, you'll be our last one. So it's like a bit spiritual. It's enormous. But um, as I, uh, I do this every Wednesday uh, at the group over, and there's not two plants. There's like a gazillion. There's many things. All right, all right, all right. I'll do one last one, and that will be it. Sure. If you'd like. I wasn't prepared for these answers. I really wasn't. I, I really wasn't, if I'm being completely honest. I wasn't prepared for the answers, but there's a purpose in the question. So as we just talked about, 
we discussed cleansing perspectives, how Jesus introduces his cleaning perspective, and in a way, it kind of cleanses ours, and at least the Pharisees back then. If only they would work on their inside, the outside would be clean as well. In a way, it's almost reminiscent of what we hear about facades, and even as some people say, being fake. We also saw this in Matthew and later in Luke. Which almost makes me think that we know better. I think we know that. I think we know that our outside and our in need to be cleaned. So I want to dive a bit deeper to our next point, being a mess in sight. And really this point, it comes from this idea that concealing is not cleaning. See, I ask the question because something that I've learned is that language is indexical, meaning that language indexes the speaker. When we speak, it says a lot about who we are. And so I wonder, and I could be completely wrong, I wonder if the answers that we gave to the question that we just had about things that must be cleaned, what did they tell about us? What did they inform about the speaker? Is it really just about cleaning or was it about concealing? What do I mean by that? We'll discuss this, specifically with Christine Pohl and her book, Living Into Community, where she discusses hospitality, which you see right there. But I will remind you that again, this is dinners with Jesus, but dinners are meals and meals are interactions as well as hospitality. All of these things involve interacting with people and they involve guests. I will read this right now. Hospitality is relevatory. If we invite people into our lives and homes, they'll see what's there. Hospitality and living truthfully meet here because welcome is not about putting on a show, but about inviting people into our lives as we live them. When we truly make room for others, we cannot keep up false appearances for long. Hospitality is an invitation to mutual truthfulness. This really hit me because I'm talking about cleaning perspectives which is when I realized that my own needed to be cleaned. If I'm honest, our first point in this point is that concealing is not cleaning. That's not a proper definition of what cleaning is because concealing is just moving a mess somewhere else. But to be honest with you, I don't know about you all, but for me, I definitely do this. I do this even as I'm on the way here to church. As I'm here and I'm coming here to learn about God, I find that I'm very concerned about what you all think about me. Specifically, I'm concerned about what you'll see in the car as you're walking by. What are you going to see in, in, the, in my car? And so a lot of times for me, what I do is I try to move all the stuff onto one side, you know, pre preferably in the back seat, maybe in the trunk, but I don't want people to see that I'm putting things in the trunk. I, I, I just have to, maybe I can show up early enough, I can do something so you won't see it. See, cleaning is important, but as you see, my cleaning is rooted in concealing. And these things are not necessarily the same. It's almost as if when someone has a broom and they sweep, but they don't use the dustpan, they just sweep it to one side. But that's not cleaning, that's just transferring a mess. <laughs> so what's really going on? I'll show you this. This, yes. It's an action figure. And in truth, I collect these. And up until now, 
This was something that I was extremely ashamed of. This is the last thing that I would want you all to share. If I'm honest, I would rather share about my struggles with something like sexual impurity, with emotional impurity, how I eat too much at times and I can be gluttonous, than tell you about this and tell you about how I collect these. Because of what it says, it says age is eight and up. And this was something, it, it is, it's true. You, you can look at it. it, it says it right here. But the truth is, is that I've been collecting these since I was younger. And, and when I was younger, this was something I got made fun of because as I was getting older, my peers, their interests were changing and mine didn't. And so this was extremely shameful for me. So oftentimes my cleaning was concealing because when people would come over to the house and they come over into my room, this would be the last thing that you'd see. It's the most consistent thing about me, but it is not something that you'd see. I conceal it because I was so concerned about what people thought. Do you see how my cleaning is rooted in something that is not cleaning at all? It's concealing. This is what I would do. But that's not all. In addition, there is more. Because in addition, I deal with things like ADHD. I have that. It can impact things like executive function, planning, short-term memory, different things like, like these. And God has brought me so far. But unfortunately, I didn't find out that I had that until I was around, I'd say, 19, first year in college. So up until that point, I had no explanation for why these things happened why I, I, there was just this inconsistency. And so, with a lack of explanation, I just made my own. My explanation was, you know, I, I didn't know why in elementary, I was forced to, to be in these classes after our regular classes. When everyone would leave, they'd have me after school. So I'd just say, you're, you're just dumb. Like, you, you don't have it all together. Like, there's just something wrong with you. And I kept thinking in a certain direction, and I kept thinking into a pit. And eventually, I got diagnosed with depression as well. And that's not the only input for it, but that was the only explanation that I had. So for years, that's what I came up with because I needed to know why. And no one told me why, so I made a why for me. It just wasn't healthy, but it's what I had. Eventually, God brought me to a different place. He, he helped me um, with things like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I met with therapists. I talked with different people. I learned different strategies and different skills and different tools. What was also interesting is that in becoming a disciple, I fell in love with God, but I also fell in love with myself. Because as I learned to love the creator, as I learned to love the creator, I started loving what the Creator made, including me. And I love me. And then I, I started to learn about the beauty of you all, because we're all created by God. And so it, it's beautiful, and you all are beautiful people. But why am I sharing this? God has brought me a long way. But if I don't share this, you may not appreciate where I am now. Where I am now is not where I was then. But it becomes problematic when I try to conceal it. I may seem like I'm clean now, and I'm still being clean. God's brought me a long way, but it's by people seeing the mess and the, the start that they appreciate the destination because they see the journey. This is another reason why this example of, of, of having a mess in sight and concealing and is not being cleaning, it's why it's so problematic. 
Because the gospel, when we look at the, the Koine Greek word for it, it literally translates into good news. But who is the good news spoken to? It's not here, but I'll read it right here in Luke 4, where Jesus, in one of his first sermons, he reads the Isaiah scroll in Luke 4, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to who? For the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we look at these groups, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed, these are people that need good news. They need the gospel. I'm realizing and I'm learning, if I just keep showing myself as clean, but I don't show where I've been, what does that do? It impacts the power of the gospel because the gospel is pointed to people who need it. They need good news. They need to be transformed. I'm just like them. I've been transformed, but I'm being transformed. This issue of of cleaning, it's problematic because, again, we already know about the incongruency about being fake. The problem with being fake is that it can impact the gospel. And then there's this. Oh, shoot. We had our scars like a shame When this one makes us the same You and I, yeah, you and I Why do we hide ourselves inside our different shells? Okay, so this is a song by a record label, Reach Records, who happen to be many Christians. They sing about their life experience, as many singers do. But I love these lyrics, and I keep coming back to them. We hide our scars like a shame when they're what make us the same. This is another issue when we think that cleaning is concealing because some of our most relatable aspects of ourselves are the messes that we try to conceal. It is our scars. I'm also realizing that that our scars, since they make us so relatable to other people, not just Christians, but the people that you see wherever, this is something that the adversary would not want us to do. If he can make us afraid and fearful and think about ourselves, we won't share the thing that is most relatable to us, that allows the flow of the gospel. Instead, our fear in this definition of cleansing will be like a a Hoover Dam for the flow of the Spirit and the flow of His love. As someone once said, when we are struggling the most, we are most relatable. We all come from different places, but we all can relate to this idea of trials. In conclusion, we talked about cleaning our perspective and leaving a mess in sight. With that being said, I wanted to bring someone onto the stage. Yes, great. Because as we wrap up, we have to consider when we're interacting with people, when we're at the dinner table, where we're in, when we're anywhere, if we're at church or we're even with people who would never come to church, what it's important to consider this question what definition of cleanliness are we operating from am i going to show him who i really am or am i going to conceal it that definition of cleanliness it's so important because it determines this and ultimately the expression of the gospel that they experience thank you so much oh my goodness that's crazy
So, we're not done yet. This is actually the point in our service where we will begin communion. In particular, with John 13, 6 to 10, I wanted to do something. I wanted to ask if you all could close your eyes. To close your eyes, but to open the lens of your imagination and to imagine that you're at a dinner table, you're at a meal, but not just any meal. You're at the Last Supper with Jesus before he passes. And you're one of the disciples that he's speaking to in John 13, 6. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my feet as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said that not everyone was clean. You can open your eyes. You you imagine that you're there. You're imagining that Jesus, in a way, he washed all their feet. Imagine him washing yours. The reason why I share this scripture is because I realize there's a there's a congruency between this and 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where Paul, after Jesus had died and resurrected, he's speaking to a group of Christians in Corinth. And if you know anything about this letter, there was a lot they needed to work on. As some would say, they were kind of a hot mess. But he encourages them at the same time. He says, and that is what some of you were, them being idolaters, thieves, stealers, sexually immoral. But it says in verse 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. These two scriptures hit me because as we see, Jesus is talking about cleaning the disciples in John 13. But we look in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and the disciples later, they're being washed and cleansed and sanctified and justified by Jesus. And so as we take communion, much like at the Last Supper, it's something to consider. How does God clean us? Look at what his blood did. It allowed something to happen to us that we could never do for ourselves. And maybe you don't take communion. Maybe you've never been to church. Imagine what it would be like to be cleansed by God, to be cleaned by him. What would that be like? What does it mean? What would happen? With that, I'll pray. God, I want to thank you for this day. So grateful for who you are. Thank you for cleaning us and sharing your definition, but then doing it for us, God. You do something for us we could never do for ourselves. I could never clean myself like you did or wash myself like you did, Father. Thank you so much. I appreciate who you are. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.